The latest from 7 News with Michael Usher. Good evening and welcome. Tonight restrictions at ease earlier in Sydney as Melbourne Cup celebrates Cup Day Freedoms. Why tensions between France and Australia are set to rise even further. A new theory and a new search zone in WA's Cleo Smith investigation and Australia's first taste of post-pandemic international travel will go live to London. But first, escalating tension between France and Australia is casting a dark shadow over Scott Morrison's presence at the COP26 Climate Summit. Our Europe correspondent Sarah Greenwich is live at the summit in Glasgow now. Sarah, good evening from here. Now, the palace uh, has responded to the leaking of text messages between uh, Macron and Morrison. It certainly has, Michael. Good evening. Uh, this diplomatic stoush, this very public fight, is showing no signs of ending any time soon. The tit-for-tat uh, that has happened over the past few days has been quite extraordinary, and we probably have to remind everyone what's happened so far. So on Sunday, President Macron accused Scott Morrison of lying over that $90 billion submarines deal and the scrapping of it. Scott Morrison hit back, saying he wouldn't cop sledging of Australia, although uh, the French president, in his remarks to Australian journalists, did talk quite extensively about the mutual respect and friendship between the two countries. After all of that, these text messages suddenly appeared. So Scott Morrison says he was trying to contact President Macron in the lead-up to the AUKUS alliance about two days earlier. Uh, he says Macron was basically avoiding his phone call. He didn't want to talk about it. He then texted Morrison, Macron, saying, should I expect good or bad news? Now, a French president, uh, a French paper, rather, has written about this today, calling it a spectacular and extremely rare leak, these text messages the Eliseo Palace itself has said that disclosing the SMS of an exchange between heads of state or government is a rather inelegant and peculiar method. Scott Morrison's office says the text messages clearly show that um, Macron was bracing himself for bad news, that he knew the deal was doomed. Uh, Macron's office says that it shows the president didn't know what was going on. Either way, Michael, this story uh, is continuing to make international headlines here and it's really not a great look for either leader. No, that is a fact. Now, these are crucial climate talks, Sarah, with dozens of high-profile events every day. Um, just give us a sense of the scale of the summit that's going on behind you. Yeah, it, it's huge, Michael. 25,000 delegates are attending this exhibition centre here in Glasgow. Uh, there's tens of thousands of protesters then on the streets also making their voices heard. Logistically, it hasn't all been smooth. Uh, this queue's actually not too bad at the moment, but people have been lining up for hours each day to try and get in here. There's airport-style security, but then there's COVID on top of that. So each day, every single person attending has to uh, take a lateral flow test at home in your accommodation. You then have to register the results with the NHS on a website. You then need to show uh, a text message or an email to security here at various points throughout the process. So it is uh, a lengthy process. There's also been criticism of the way that people have made it here to Glasgow. Of course, many of the world, or all of the world leaders have flown here. Uh, they will be jetting out this evening and that is when the negotiations really get underway. This is all about climate change, Michael, and, and thankfully this morning we have heard a few deals uh, made, one including Australia, Britain and India in regarding to helping smaller island nations who were already feeling the effects of climate change. There's also been a really major announcement on deforestation. So more than 100 countries have signed up to end or reverse deforestation by 2030, a $20 billion deal. And significantly, it includes Brazil because, of course, there's been a lot okay. of land clearing in the Amazon in recent years. Yeah. So that's that's pretty good news. Hopefully we see some more of those deals. There's some positive steps, no doubt about it. All right, Sarah Greenwich in Glasgow, thank you for that.
Well, it's been both takeoff and touchdown in the UK tonight for an iconic Qantas route, the first direct services between Sydney and London, back in the air. Our Europe Bureau Chief Hugh Whitfield's live for us now in London. Hugh, good evening to you. So what do the travellers at Heathrow have to say to you? Well, Michael, there was a fair mix of relief, apprehension and some nerves as well. Relief at finally being able to get home. A lot of these people have gone nearly two years without seeing their families. 170 passengers on board flight QF2. It took off about two and a half hours ago, London to Darwin and then on to Sydney. Uh, Qantas has been operating government-assisted flights to Darwin for some time, but this is the first fully commercial flight carrying uh, fully paying passengers that'll go through to Sydney. Of course, once you get to Sydney, you don't have to quarantine if you are double vaccinated. So when you turn up to the airport at Heathrow, you do need to present quite a bit of paperwork. And that's why there's some nerves to make sure you've got it all in line. You need to uh, show that you've filled out the Australian government uh, form. You need to prove a negative COVID test and you need to show that you're double vaccinated as well. QF2 in the air right now. It's somewhere over southern Greece, 17 hours and one minute uh, to Darwin. There you go. Massive bonus. I'm feeling very lucky, actually. Yeah, yeah. So no quarantine, no two weeks on my own. So, <laughs> yeah, good times. It's a pretty big relief. So, um, yeah, the last couple of weeks when we found that out, it was definitely, like, um, yeah, it made us a bit more excited to get home. And, um, yeah, just looking forward to getting home now. We were originally booked on the repatriation flight to Darwin. Um, but as soon as the... You know, rules came in with New South Wales. We booked a flight on Qantas straight away. Now, these passengers were boarding QF2. Uh, that's the same plane that uh, landed uh, a few hours uh, beforehand, QF1, which was Sydney, Darwin to London, with uh, passengers on board flying out of Australia, many of whom uh, are the first to, to leave Australia since the exemptions were lifted for New South Wales and Victoria in particular. Uh, a lot of those people hadn't seen family here in the UK for some time, or Aussies who live here in Britain, who've had children uh, in that time that haven't met their grandparents and, and aunts and uncles. Uh, this is the beginning, obviously, of the two-way travel between the UK and Australia. Qantas has moved the fl flight from London to Perth to London to Darwin to facilitate all of this. They say they're going to head back to WA at some point. Obviously, we don't know when the borders there are going to reopen. And it's clear, too, that a lot of people on these flights are from New South Wales or Victoria, uh, and so other states are going to have to uh, join the fund soon as well. Hugh, I'd imagine pretty exciting time for the, the crew also manning those flights. Many of them stood down for months and months on end without pay. How, how are they feeling jumping back uh, on the long haul? Yeah, a lot of them haven't flown in 20 months, stood down by the airline, forced to find other jobs. We spoke to a couple who were flying from uh, London to Darwin and Sydney on board that QF2 flight. Colin McNeil, he spent the pandemic working in a vaccination centre in Essex and Jane Hellier, who went to work for a real estate agent. So they were forced to diversify after being stood down by the airline can't believe it's been 20 months that we've not been to the airport on that so it's just, uh, I, just I, can't, I can't express how I feel at the moment I'm just overwhelmed at the moment it's so lovely to get back and it will be lovely to reunite people with their families 
So Qantas isn't the only airline flying to Australia, uh, of course. Uh, you can fly from London to Australia, but Sydney in particular on airlines like Qatar and Singapore. Uh, the flights to aren't as cheap as they were before the pandemic. In order to do a return trip from London to Sydney and back again, you're looking at anywhere between two and a half and three and a half thousand dollars for economy. That's about double what it was yeah. uh, compared to, say, February last year. So a lot of heat to come out of the market, but thousands of Aussies here in Britain are hoping to get home too. And that's relief for them, or a Hewitfield there in London. Thank you. The reopening roadmap is being brought forward for the fully vaccinated in New South Wales, but the unvaccinated are going to have to wait a little longer for their turn. Straight to Tom Saker, who's live in Sydney. Tom, let's start with the earlier easing of restrictions for the double dose. Uh, when's that going to happen and what's it going to look like? Yeah, well, next Monday, Michael, the 8th of November, essentially three weeks ahead of schedule thanks to low daily case numbers and high vaccination rates. There will be a number of major restrictions which we weren't due to come out of until December 1. Uh, density limits and hospitality venues will be cut in half so that one person per four square metre rule will change to two square metres. That rule has been around since really the beginning of the pandemic in New South Wales. The cap of 20 visitors in the home will be completely screened the number of people who can gather outdoors as well. Currently 50 will also be completely scrapped. Stadiums, theatres and cinemas can finally refill all their seats to capacity. Play centres can reopen. Dancing is allowed to resume at nightclubs and pools can finally reopen, although there will be uh, capped numbers of 20 in gym and dance classes, leaving those in, that, in those industries uh, obviously uh, quite frustrated. But overall, it is a, a rapid acceleration out of that roadmap, which was originally set out by the Gladys Berejiklian government. All right, so Tom, fast track for the double dose, but a delay for the unvaccinated. When do they fall under the same restrictions? Well, it will be either when New South Wales hits the 95% double dose or when we reach December 15, whichever comes first. So those people who have been unvaccinated or are still unvaccinated are looking down the barrel of a two-week delay on reaching those major uh, lifting of restrictions. Uh, that will take, obviously, some time, but the Premier is hoping that it will incentivise those people uh, to come forward and get vaccinated. And the daily vaccination numbers are tricky along at the moment. Currently, 93.6% of people over 16 in New South Wales have received at least one dose. 88.3% uh, have received both doses. But it will be interesting to see whether this announcement has any impact on the daily vaccination numbers, Michael. All right, Tom, yeah, that's a good point. We'll look out for that. Thank you for that. Now, victory is uh, sinking in tonight at the very elegant camp on the night of Melbourne Cup firsts. She's the first mayor to have won the race since Maccabi Diva, giving jockey James McDonnell and trainer Chris Waller their first Cup triumphs. Let's replay the moment she took it home. Very elegant at the 150. The darling of the turf has raced clear three weeks in set of eyes, and it's very elegant. Ten group ones, and now the greatest of them all, the Melbourne Cup. Let's go to Georgia Commonsoli in Melbourne, Georgia. Celebrations right across the city tonight. 
Well, Michael, it's hard to believe that from all the parties today for the Melbourne Cup Carnival that we were in such a severe lockdown only just a few weeks ago. Some parties tonight are starting to wrap up. One party that will be going well into the morning is that winner's after party at Society on Collins Street in the city. They actually managed to get into a restaurant that hasn't been opened officially to the public yet. They're due to open this Friday. As for the race itself today, they were only allowed 10,000 race goers physically at the track. Usually we see crowds of over 100,000 Melbournians and Australians getting to Flemington's. That means for our hospitality venues, it was a real opportunity for them to try and cash in on today's festivities and the estimate for the revenue that they'll see from today is in the millions. Michael? It's all good. Okay, Georgia, come and Solly in Melbourne. Thank you. A police officer is right now recovering in hospital after being slashed in the head with a knife while responding to a domestic violence incident in Sydney. The probationary constable, just six months into the job, is being treated for cuts and a dislocated shoulder. The 38-year-old man was arrested, expected to be charged in the coming hours. Victorian Liberal MP Tim Smith is going against his boss's wishes tonight, saying he won't resign from state parliament over a drink-drive crash. Opposition leader Matthew Guy had told him not to run in the next year's election and said as long as he was in charge, Smith would never find his way to the front bench again. The Age reports the embattled MP claims to have the backing of federal Liberals and is calling branch members for their support. And an independent corruption commission report into Gladys Berejiklian is unlikely to be handed down until the middle of next year. Lawyers for the former New South Wales Premier have until February 14 to finalise their submissions. Her successor, Dominic Perrottet, says he'll outlaw private phones for MPs if the ICAC recommends it after the hearing was told Daryl Maguire urged Ms Berejiklian to buy one. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 17 days into the search for Cleo Smith, police say her abduction was likely opportunistic and not planned. Officers are sifting through garbage up to 500 kilometres from where she was last seen. Early this evening, I spoke to our reporter Ben Downey, who's been at the search site in Carnarvon, Western Australia. Yeah, good evening, Michael. Well, they're looking for the first physical trace of Cleo Smith that still evades the detective of police task force radio, which has been set up to find the missing four-year-old. So far, they're yet to find a footprint, let alone an item of clothing or her sleeping bag that's been left out in the area. And these methods, alternative methods of policing, like searching, forensically searching through rubbish, are becoming more important because police have recently revealed that there are several routes a potential abductor could have taken from Carnarvon to that blowholes campsite that doesn't pass by any CCTV cameras, which means conventional policing is not going to cut it if we're going to find Cleo. Ben, do you know if police have caught up with everyone who was staying at the campsite? 
Yeah, so they have, are pretty confident. They can't be 100%, but they're pretty confident they've caught up with everyone that was staying at the campsite. There's a list just north of around 100 people that they're making their way through, crossing them out of suspicion and moving the way through. But the problem exists with people that weren't just staying there but could have potentially visited while Claire was staying there. That list is around 380 names, and it's taking much more time and resources to work through that list. And still, obviously, the person who was seen driving a car late at night on the night Cleo disappeared on a northwest coast highway is still evading police and they're still asking that person to come forward. Now look, at one point there, Ben, we heard Cleo may have been taken interstate. Where are police focusing their attention right now? So interstate is certainly still a possibility for police and they are liaising with interstate policing agencies as well as the Australian Federal Police. But the focus very much remains in WA. There's 100 detectives split 50-50 between here in Carnarvon as well as Perth in Task Force Rodia. They're forensic specialists as well as other specialists. And recently we can now reveal they've been actually doing some searches on the dark web, running facial recognition software and facial matching algorithms, going through forums, databases and these known hangouts of sexual predators online looking for any sign of Cleo amongst the child exploitation material that exists, but so far no sign. Now, though, they're preparing to bring up police's tactical responsing unit. That's coming up from Perth. They're going to be using motorbikes to search the furthest flung regions of bushland that are yet to be searched and even potentially looking at some mine sites later this week. Michael. All right, Ben Downey there in Carnarvon. Thank you for that. News tonight from Afghanistan. At least 19 people killed and more than 50 injured after twin blasts hit a military hospital in Kabul. We're hearing the powerful explosions were quickly followed by gunfire at the entrance to the building. Witnesses reportedly watching as Islamic State fighters stormed in and clashed with security. At least six people are dead and 100 missing after a building collapsed in Nigeria's commercial centre Lagos. Rescue workers have saved three people from the wreckage of the luxury high-rise which was under construction. Most of the people still trapped inside are construction, work, construction workers. And AFL player Jordan Dugowie is facing one less charge tonight after an alleged bar assault in New York. Prosecutors have dropped allegations against the Collingwood midfielder, forcibly groped a woman. They are, however, pushing ahead with accusations he punched and kicked a man. Dugowie denies the charges he next faces court in December. The Reserve Bank today announced it will keep interest rates at the record low of 0.1% for the 12-month running. Thanks to that, banks have become much less attractive places for Australians to keep cash. Our network finance editor, Gemma Acton, joins me now. Jim, good evening to you. This is quite an extraordinary number, I'm about to say. We've amassed <laughs> $230 billion Correct. in excess savings in the pandemic. So where are we putting our money? Well, if you think back to September when the world looked like quite a different place, there were many more social restrictions, uh, lockdowns, uh, vaccination rates were really low. Consumer sentiment surveys really picked up on the fact that people were pretty cautious. So although bank savings rates were so low and still are so low, around half of those surveyed by Westpac then thought that the best place to put their savings was into a bank savings account or to pay down debt, which really reflects all of the unease out there. Uh, around 10% thought that shares were the best place to put their money, and around 7% thought that going out and spending the money was the, was the best option. I think if we took that survey again now, and they will do it shortly, we'd see a pick-up in the amount of people wanting to spend that money, uh, given we've already seen evidence of people getting out of the gates with lockdowns coming down, social restrictions easing, uh, spending on travel, spending on entertainment. So we'd probably see more people, uh, less cautious, happy to spend. Yeah. And how does home ownership play into this? Well, interestingly, around one in ten people in that survey then thought that property was the wisest place to put their money. This is a lot lower than historic averages, which is usually around 
one in four people and it really reflects how unaffordable and out of reach property has become for so many people. In April, the value of all the homes in Australia added up together was $8 trillion. By September, it was $9 trillion. So just adding a trillion dollars in that five-month period is unthinkable. And you're hearing more and more people yesterday, the Westpac Chief Executive, Peter King, a month ago, the Commonwealth Bank Chief Executive, Matt Common, really complain about this increasing wealth gap, particularly given that for renters who don't own homes, Wages haven't gone anywhere for a really long time, so it's just getting more and more profound. What about super? We've got, we have compulsory superannuation. Are people putting it into that? We do. Well, uh, people are putting more in now because we have to, because the rate went up from 9.5% to 10% earlier this year of our salaries that have to go in. In terms of voluntary contributions on top of that, when the super scheme started back in the early 1990s, around half of Australians topped up their super with voluntary contributions. That had dropped by the early 2000s to about a quarter of people, and it's gone down since then. It's not a hugely popular option. It tends to be more popular for people who are approaching retirement, have very steady income and a high income level. Uh, but overall, you're not seeing it. If you think back to that uh, initial chart we were talking about, where do people think the wisest place to put their money is, only around 6% of people nominate putting excess money into super, so uh, still not an enormously popular option. Huge savings. Yes, huge savings. Yeah, all right, Jim, thank you. Thanks, Michael. Just some pictures just in now. Scott Morrison has met with Prince Charles at the COP26 Climate Summit in Glasgow. It follows Prince Charles criticising the PM a few weeks ago before Scott Morrison made the commitment to attend the conference. Yes, but pretty much, pretty much. But now we've committed to net zero by 2050. Australia's done that here in top 26, doubled our climate finance commitments. The ex-girlfriend of convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein has lost a key ruling ahead of her trial later this month. Ghislaine Maxwell appeared handcuffed in a New York court, still claiming she'd done nothing wrong. For most of her life, Ghislaine Maxwell called the shots with money, influence and friends in high places. Not today. Appearing in a Manhattan courtroom in shackles and a prison jumpsuit for a pre-trial hearing. Her lawyers lost a bid to have the words victim and minor banned from her trial. These girls would be abused by, sexually abused by Jeffrey Epstein and sometimes uh, Maxwell would join in, prosecutors say. A judge ruling those victims could testify anonymously. Given the sensitive and inflammatory nature of the conduct alleged, such publicity may cause further harassment and embarrassment. Maxwell told the court she had not requested a plea deal because she had not committed any crimes. She was arrested less than a year after Epstein killed himself in a New York jail cell while awaiting trial on sex trafficking charges. This was just the second time the British socialite has appeared in court, confined largely to a prison cell during COVID, her trial now set to begin at the end of the month. As the civil case against longtime friend Prince Andrew returns to court this week, Virginia Dufresne, now living in Australia, accuses the Prince of sexually assaulting her on three occasions, once at Ms Maxwell's London home, claims he continues to deny. In New York, Tim Lester, 7 News. Well, tourists from around the world have flooded into Thailand again as the country reopens its borders and ends quarantine for vaccinated travellers, including Australians. We're live to Olivia Leeming in Bangkok now. Liv, good evening to you. Tens of thousands of visitors have already landed there. That's less than 48 hours since Thailand reopened.
Yeah, just on day one, there were nearly 8,000 people arriving here in Thailand. They're expecting 135,000 to arrive by the end of this month and up to 1 million people by the end of this year, arriving uh, not only at Bangkok Airport but directly on flights to Phuket, Koh Samui and Chiang Mai. Mostly Europeans who've been arriving so far, but now uh, people from 63 countries around the world are welcome, including Australians. So if you are fully vaccinated, you will not have to quarantine yeah. here in Thailand. Uh, at the airport so far, the process seems to be going fairly smoothly. We have heard some reports of a bit of a wait around the screening areas where they're checking back vaccination documents. For a family of four, it's taking about two hours to clear the airport, but hopefully that becomes a much more quicker, pro a quicker process over the coming weeks. Yeah, Liv, there's this test and go scheme. So for Australians wanting to head there, how does that work? So you'll have to apply online for this new Thailand pass at least a week before you're planning to travel here. To get that, you'll have to provide proof of vaccination. You'll also need medical insurance and you'll have to pay for up to one night in, hotel, in a hotel, an approved hotel, in advance. So once you have that pass, you'll then need to take a negative COVID test uh, 72 hours before your flight. You'll then be tested again when you land and you'll have to wait in a hotel until you receive that result back. So up to a maximum of one night. Now, if you do have COVID, you will obviously have to stay for a bit longer in quarantine, but hopefully for the large majority of people, they will test negative and then they'll be allowed to roam free, explore the country. And you will be given a self-testing kit to take with you. So on your sixth or seventh day here in Thailand, you'll be able to self-test and then send back the result uh, with a photo just through an app on your phone. So it should right. be fairly straightforward. Now, obviously, all the tourism operators there seem desperate for Australians to return. But uh, from what you live there, is it safe to travel there? Yes, they are very eager. But I guess... They're trying to do it in as safe a way as possible. The uh, processes at the airport are very strict. All airport staff are in full PPE. You'll be assigned your own vehicle to take you directly to the hotel. And then the fact that they're not letting anyone leave until you receive that negative result shows that they are trying to minimise the contact for those bringing COVID into the country. Once you leave a hotel quarantine, then you'll have to wear a mask everywhere you go. Uh, if you're in public, there's still hand sanitizer, temperature checks wherever you go to a restaurant or into a shopping centre. So there are still some restrictions given that today we saw a, an extra 7,500 new COVID cases, which Goodness sounds me. like an awful lot, though yeah. it is much less than the peak of 23,000 that we saw back wow. in August. Well, that, um, in terms of the vaccination yeah. rate... It's lagging a little bit, but um, hopefully that will improve. And in all the major hotels, most staff are fully vaccinated. They have very strict cleaning processes in place. And Thailand's hoping that as more tourists come in, that will give others, like Australians, the confidence that it is safe to come back here again, Michael. All right, I'm sure quite a few will also. Olivia Leeming there in Bangkok, thank you. Now, Jim Racton's back with a look at the markets. Thanks, Michael. Well, it was a rather grim day for markets today. Australian shares managed a minor recovery following the Reserve Bank's announcement before sinking again to finish close to their lowest level of the day. Overall sentiment was one of caution. This is as traders tread water ahead of the Federal Reserve's meeting tomorrow. And it is a similar story over on Wall Street. That's after the Dow Jones and S&P 500 both pierced new highs overnight. There's little decisive movement on today's futures board.
The Fed is not the only big event this week. The OPEC plus global oil cartel is meeting with oil prices pushing higher ahead of that. And the Aussie dollar has given up recent gains. It's now well back under 75 US cents. Michael. Well, thank you for your company this evening. From the team here at 7 News, that is the latest. I'm Michael Usher. Have a good night.